conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Well, as we mark 30 years of our country's democracy, one of the things we'll be doing, of course, is having ongoing conversations and using it as an opportunity to reflect on the challenges, the progress and the developments that our country has made. Our guest this morning is somebody that has many, many years of international experience his job being partly to position South Africa as a preferred destination, whether for tourism and investment. Among some of his accolades includes being appointed as Chief of State Protocol at the Department of International Relations. And in the Department of Tourism, he was part of the team leading South Africa's bid to host the 2010 FIFA World Cup. He's a former diplomat and CEO of Brand South Africa and a figure synonymous with promoting South Africa on the global stage, Dr. Kingsley Makubela. Dr. Makubela, good morning to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Good morning, Kathy, and thanks for the invitation. Of course, um, how I... Uh, my, my description for you as I guess this morning is that you are a conflict resolution expert board member of the Center for Mediation at the University of um, Pretoria and also a non-executive member of the Lilies Leaf Trust. There's so much that you've been able to see and do in your time, Dr. Makubela. And perhaps a good place for, for us to start this conversation would be to get with your general reflections of where we are as as a country, how would you describe the state of South Africa today? Kathy, you know, it has been a pleasure for me to serve this country in different capacities. And when I try to reflect on what we achieved, what we failed to achieve, I really like to place my center, myself at the center of the failures particularly, because I served uh, at very senior level in government that I think we could have done things much better, myself included. And I served at the level of bureaucracy. We were serving the government of the day. But you know, the, the acts, the PFMA gives uh, accounting officer a great deal of responsibility. I really don't accept sometimes the argument that we're being coerced by politicians to do wrong things because the act allows us to tell politicians this we're not going to do. If they want us to do that, they must give us instructions in writing. That's what is contained in the PFMA. So the erosion of governance that you see now, it's, it's not because of lack of policies, systems, and so on, but it's lack of general will that uh, some of us actually... Uh, participated in that. So the space we are in now, Kate, is not a comfortable space in terms of the capacity of our own state institutions. When we talk about being able to take responsibility as as individuals, and, and I really appreciate the fact that you, as somebody who has served in very senior positions in government, are able to say, look, it's not others that are responsible for it, but I was very much part of the system, so there is a responsibility I can take. But to take responsibility now and also understanding where government might be, um, for, for South Africans, it says, okay, so, so what must we do? 
we appreciate that you acknowledge it. But what does that mean for us today, right now, in this moment? I think people who are serving should uh, learn from us, should learn from our mistakes, do things that uh, uh, we didn't do. And, and I think there's no better teacher than the hindsight, Kathy. And, and there's a system now uh, at DECO, people have been trying to resuscitate a system that would allow uh, former diplomats to go and try to mentor uh, current diplomats. And that part of mentoring is to ensure that they don't make mistakes that we made. And mm-hmm. uh, they focus on really reviewing policies, developing strategies that would advance the interests of the country. I think that's that's the contribution that we can also make as as part of our payback for the mistakes that we had. But, Kathy, it's not only uh, the bureaucrats. It's, it's also the politicians. The politicians have played a very huge role in eroding governance. You know, in um, 1994, we had a project to build capacity of the state. That was the biggest focus, building the uh, capacity of the state. Now, building that capacity of state, and I, I can attest to that, that... Uh, the Department of International Relations really forced me to a large extent to go back to school. And I went back to the university, did my PhD on conflict resolution and mediation as part of developing that institutional capacity at the department. Because at that stage, our policy was focusing on building a better South Africa and a better world. And we understood that building this better world will need to resolve the conflict. And, and at the center of that was the African uh, uh, resolution of conflict. And that's why you'd find that I've had the privilege and really the honor to be in some of the most conflict areas as part of my function. But I got trained by that as part of building the capacity. So the leadership at that time at DECO under Dr. Saluba was very instrumental, not only myself and uh, other people were given the opportunity to go back to school and develop skills that were required in the organization. But what happened to those skills eventually? Because as you train us, you teach us that there are certain things that politicians should not do. I'm amongst the people who said to a lot of politicians, this I'm not going to do. And that's why ultimately you are out of the system because of that. But those who are there, they must resist. Let's go back to this issue of, of mistakes where you say we as part of the system, as part of the bureaucrats um, and the politicians, but I, I imagine you, you would be able to uh, speak more for, for the bureaucrats because you have been one, have made mistakes. What are those mistakes, Dr. Mokubela? The mistakes we made, uh, for instance, when I was at DECO, was around our diplomatic missions. We took a decision at one stage that we're going to open a, an embassy in every African uh, country. Uh, that was not possible. We didn't do that eventually. Uh, we took a decision that we're going to entrench our policy, anchor our policy, our foreign policy on the African continent. We didn't pay uh, uh, a lot of attention to some of these issues. And part of these issues was, uh, were driven by lack of institutional capacity. As I'm saying, uh, we got people trained in conflict resolution. We got people trained in terms of uh, the nuclear policies at DECO to be able to understand, to 
uh, articulate this issue at international level. But I think if you look at how we spend our resources and how we resourced our policies, we didn't do enough. In retrospect, we could have done enough in terms of really taking care of the African continent. What do I mean taking care of? Entrench our policies on Africa because we are an integral part of the continent. That's why you are seeing the challenges now, the level of intolerance towards fellow Africans in this country. Those are indicative of failures that I think I was part of it as a senior diplomat that we should have taught our people how integrated we are within the continent. This, this country has uh, gone around opening up a lot of businesses in the continent, but the talks and the deeds were not coordinating. You would find people, very senior business people, who go around the continent and say, it's my first time to go to, to visit Africa. And yet they are from South Africa. Mm -hmm. And those created a discourse in terms of understanding where do we need to position the country. Mm -hmm. So I think we did not do enough. You know, Kathy, people often say foreign policy is the continuation of your domestic policy. So we needed to have coordinated this much better. And, and I think people who are now uh, uh, spearheading the process, they should learn from those issues. You see a lot of South African companies withdrawing from the continent now. And, and, and they are withdrawing because they went into an environment they don't understand. Mm. They were not better prepared for that. We never trained a lot of uh, uh, economic uh, diplomats and so on as deco. Uh, 30 years later, Kathy, we can't complain about lack of institutional capacity. We should have developed that. No one would develop it if we don't. But I think there are people that I'll give a lot of credit, like uh, Dr. Ayandan Saluba, and Gosses and Azuma, who were really uh, focused when I was at DECO to develop the capacity of the institution. Did you ever imagine a time where South Africa's foreign policy would take center stage in the way that we are seeing right now? Um, if I think back to, let's say, the presidency of um, former President Tabumbeki, it seemed that one of the biggest foreign policy conundrums we were facing at the time was around um, Zimbabwe and, and what to do with the question of, of Zimbabwe, right? Um, and we look at where we are now and we've got Russia-Ukraine, we've got the Middle East conflict, we've got the Zimbabwe question and all of, all of that, of course, comes from what has been a, a culmination of other in, in events that have been of international prominence and that have also tested and questioned what our foreign policy really is, what, what it stands for. You know, Cathy, uh, the question of Zimbabwe and the challenges around Zimbabwe, uh, then and now, and I think... We couldn't have taken the same position as the British to be very confrontational with Zimbabwe because the fallout from whatever happened in Zimbabwe will directly affect us. It's quite good for somebody who's sitting in London and say, do this and don't do this. But we are so much integrated, not only integrated in terms of being uh, with the proximity to Zimbabwe, even the language, even the, the culture and so on. The level of integration between us and Zimbabwe is so huge that the manner in which we deal with the problem of Zimbabwe requires some cultural sensitivities and nuances that we must 
And I think I think we, we, we could have done better, no doubt about it, this way we're in this situation. But what I still fail to understand today is to get a group of African leaders who fly over uh, the Sudan and go to Ukraine and say, we're going to help to solve the problem. I look at our own government. Do we have an institution within DECO that understands the conflict resolution, that researches, analyzes, and helps in terms of providing policies about different conf conflicts and how to intervene. We don't have that. We should have had that capacity. At one stage, we had a, 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 an entity at DECO that was led by Jessie Duarte when she was at TTG that, mm -hmm. that really looked at the, the African continent and really focused at the TTG level. But we dismantled that. And that was also looking around the conflict areas. I mean, we've been to the Comores, we've been to different areas to try to help resolve conflict, but we had institutional capacity and we had people who were doing analysis of this conflict, following them, and assisting policymakers in terms of what good policies to develop. But we've dismantled those institutions. Things don't work on the basis of an individual who's there. As a state, you need to have permanent institutions that you keep on capacitating on daily basis, annual basis, training people, new trends and tendencies that I imagine to help our politicians to understand. We'll continue the conversation with Dr. Kingsley Makubela on the talking point. Um, I'm going to give you a chance for you to interact with him as well uh, at around 10.40. I know I, I can already see the number of calls we're going to get uh, in response to this uh, conversation. For now, it's 10.30. Time for the latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana, weekdays 9 a.m. till midday. We're in conversation with Dr. Kingsley Makubela. He's a conflict resolution expert, a board member for the Center for Mediation at the University of Pretoria, and also a non-executive board member of the Lily's Leaf Trust. Um, he's a former diplomat in this country and has really served at, at the highest levels uh, within government. So, Dr. Makubela... I, I'm, I'm fascinated by your ideas in terms of what you describe as the capacity of the state to be able to um, respond to present day needs, especially from a, a foreign policy perspective, um, but also questioning whether or not we what we are doing today is driven by that capacity and capability that that is needed in the state. Do you think that some of our decisions, and, and again, if, if you take a look at the news cycle, it is really our foreign policy and associated decisions right now that are taking center stage. Do you think that those have been misguided or do you think they've been well thought out? Well, Kathy, I think what lacks there is the institutional support mechanism for our politicians. What do I mean by that? You have, for instance, an organization called the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. It's, it's, a, it's an international organization, very strong organization. It includes a lot of countries and, and well-resourced. A lot of countries are struggling to join the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Countries like Egypt have uh, observer status and so on. Do we really understand 
what this organization presents in terms of business, in terms of opportunities, growth, products, and so on. Do we really understand in terms of how can we better position a country like South Africa and the business here? I don't think we do. And, and, and I'm saying this, look at the public discourse in this country around, uh, around these issues. The fascination in this country, it, it's all about uh, uh, talking about AGOA, talking about the European mm -hmm. Union. But the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, it, it's, it's a new venture. This is a new emerging grouping of like-minded countries. And most of those countries that are there are from the global south. So I don't think the discourse it's, it's, it's carrying on uh, to such an extent that we can say, as a country, we understand how to better position uh, the interests of this country. In the international space, Katie, no one is going to go, no one is going to look after our interests. We have to vigorously fight and position our interests. If we don't do that, we'll be left out. But, but we are positioning ourselves. We are positioning ourselves as a moral voice. We are positioning ourselves as a country that can stand up to Western dominance. We are positioning ourselves as a country that will be um, a central figure or even, a, if not a unifier, a voice for the interests of, of the global south. Um, all of that is what I read into part of what South Africa, uh, through its actions, not only through its words, but through its actions, has been saying to the rest of the world. Cathy, there's an old cliche in, in foreign policy that countries don't have friends, they have interests. <laughs> you always have to look after your interests, so no one will protect your interests. And I think if we were to build a foreign policy that is based on friends and so on, we'll be lost. That's why you find today the United States and, Fra and France are allies to a very large extent, but they are also competitors and they advance their interests. And I think we need to do that. We need to advance our interests, even with, within our friends. Do you think we've gotten carried away uh, by two things? The world is perhaps the most polarized that it has ever been. And so this fragmentation that we see, even in local politics, is something that plays itself out. In international politics, um, I was saying in the first hour that Perhaps the, the the global order is being tested post the Second World War, is being tested in a way that it hasn't um, since then. And you do see a, a very active steps taken by the hegemons of the world to reestablish and re-emphasize their power uh, because they all of these challenges and rattlings that seem uh, to be taking place. Do you think that we've gotten carried away um, by the need to show that, uh, you know, in fact, the, 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 the balance of power globally is shifting? Cathy, there's, there's no moral foreign policy. It's a fallacy. Because you, you're going to find people that you actually think that you are in the same moral grouping with them really opposed to you. There's nothing like that. They are countries' interests, but you shouldn't advance your interests to such an extent that you tremble over the interests of other people. You should accommodate other interests in the process. I am part of a, a group now. It's a think tank based in Washington. They are doing 
a research around the new world order mm. because as they're thinking that this unipolar world has created more problems. Mm. We are starting our meeting now, first meeting in April in 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 Turkey. It, it's it's a it's a it's a working team of about 120 people. It includes former foreign ministers, former defense ministers, diplomats, academics, and institutions to really look at this new emerging world. Are we talking about multipolar, or are we talking about bipolar world? Mm. And and what are this multipolar world? What are the implications? And it has so many working groups uh, that are looking into this. I'm in the working group of expect. We're going to start reviewing what is produced by different working groups. And already I understand that big institutions are interested in this. There are universities that are, invo are involved in this. Harvard is involved, Peking University, University of Moscow, and, and University of uh, Finland, and so on. They are, and the Carnegie Institution, the Rockefeller Foundation, they are part of this team that uh, is working on this. So I'm glad there are people who are thinking about this. I had a discussion with uh, Professor Maxis Kuman from she retired from the University of Pretoria about this project. And she was saying to me, Kingsley, why can't institutions in this country spearhead looking at this emerging world order? The new world order is emerging definitely. You can't have it as it used to be. But these things are driven by outside. And, and the, 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 the ultimate end is that it would have some level of imposing. When I joined the group, I made it quite clear that I have to have my independent thinking that I can infuse into the group. And they've allowed me to do that. I've already included certain suggestions in terms of the research moving forward. So people are really trying to configure what this new world order should look like. How should it be accommodating that uh, the use of uh, secondary sanction the use of the veto and so on are becoming obsolete. They are not helping in terms of advancing the new world order. So there are a lot of things that are happening, but what's going on in this country? We are inundated with smaller issues when there are bigger issues that are emerging around the world. I mean, Iran, three days ago, they launched three satellites in a day. And if you look at the economy of Iran, they are much smaller than us. Three satellites that would really help to advance their research and everything. But... The, those issues are not small if you look at the way in which they are spoken about or even um, given time and energy by our country's leaders. The reason why they become big in the country is because that is the tone that is being set from the top. The reason why South Africans um, even were talking about, let's say, the, the Israel-Gaza war is because of what our politicians were saying about it. The same can be, uh, you know, attributed to, to, to Russia and Ukraine. It's a tone and it's messaging that is being set from the top. It, it, indeed, but the top really requires a support from the bureaucrats in terms of detailed research. I mean, I was very critical of some of the statements that were made during the Africa mission to Ukraine and Russia, the pronouncements that were made, that were actually antithesis of the whole concept of conflict resolution, that as a mediator or as a prospective mediator, you don't start pronouncing your views. It's the views of, of a disputant. So we started to make pronouncements and we wanted to bring people together. Everyone knows in any conflict that you have a view, Cathy, and they will respect your own view, but it's not all about your views. It's the views of conflicting parties. And I think we started to miss out that. What happened to that project up to now? 
there was a visit by AU, it finished, it fizzled out, it's done because of the manner in which we try to intervene. And I tend to say, when it comes to us as South Africa, did we have a better advice for our president in terms of the challenges in conflict resolution, the do's and not in conflict resolution, particularly uh, intractable conflict and conflicts that have the potential actually to become much more intractable, how to intervene and how to help. It must be informed by research and analysis of the issues and really guiding the team that went there. Of course, it was quite a challenge to find a team of so many heads of state, unprecedented, being mediators, because they all uh, articulate their own views. I mean, I looked at the president of uh, uh, the Comoros. He started in Kiev to tell, this is what we think, before they went to Moscow, and I knew they're going to have a problem when they arrive in Moscow. And indeed, they had a problem mm -hmm. when they arrived in Moscow, because they started pronouncing themselves on this issue. I mean... It was not up to them to say, yeah, we agree that the children that were taken, they must be sent back. No, they should have conveyed what Kiev is saying. This is what Kiev is saying as part of the resolution. And here the other side, not to start to say, well, we believe in the territorial integrity of countries and respecting that. You believe in that, but the countries in dispute have a dispute around those territorial issues. Mm -hmm. So that's are issues that really make you as a mediator obsolete in the process of trying to help. Where does that leave South Africa um, globally? What kind of position do we find ourselves in? Because what is clear is that how we assess uh, um, our own positioning and all of these things that we're doing, that we're saying, and what they mean for us and how they place us in the world versus where... Um, diplomats like yourselves, experts like yourselves view it, are very different. I think, I think, Kathy, it shouldn't be a, a discourse between what's going on in the private sector and what's going on in the governmental sector. And I think people in the governmental sector should try to listen and interact with the academics, interact with civil society to get a better understanding about issues and be able to formulate policies. That's why an informed policy, it takes into account views of different people and inputs from different sectors. And then you formulate a policy around that. And you know what you say. I mean, it just doesn't help to have a one-day mission or two-day mission, fly to Moscow and back, and it's finished. It can't be like that. And you have a problem here in the Sudan. There's no intervention at that level, heads of state, and the Sudan challenges that are there, they are going to have an impact around their neighbors and they will spread the conflict. So we have a bigger interest actually to pay this kind of attention to our neighboring countries rather than to move to Europeans. Recently, the president has been speaking about how he is um, anticipating some level of backlash internationally for South Africa's steps in, in taking um, Israel to the ICJ. Your view? Well, well, uh, Kathy, we are going to have a backlash. What, what I am not sure about is regime change because I heard him speaking about regime change and I had the Secretary General also speaking about regime change. I think the backlash is going to happen. That's how foreign policies, you go against my, my interests, I take actions to undermine you. And certain things have already started to happen. South Africa was uh, contending to be part of the Human Rights Council in Geneva, and we lost to Morocco. 
And, and I think that's part of uh, what people are going to do. I think people are going to start undermining us. My, my biggest fear, Kathy, is I hope we manage to handle our general election in a better way. We capacitate the IEC to run this election. We don't have disputes emerging from elections. We don't score an own goal that will give voice to this country to question the legitimacy of the outcome of the election and the legitimacy of the South African state. I think people are going to look at the small mistakes and they're going to balloon them. And given the level of disinformation and the artificial intelligence that is involved in driving that, we're going to be in a serious problem. So we need we need to get our acts together to protect what is dear to us. And what is dear to us as a country at this stage is the legitimacy of our electoral process and the legitimacy of the outcome of any electoral process. Mm. It doesn't matter who loses. And it doesn't help to get politicians within the country starting to come up and raise questions about uh, the the elections will be rigged and so on. It just doesn't help because there's no evidence that supports that. The IEC, if, if, if there's anything, they've been totally independent. And of course, we know they've lacked resources to run the election in a manner that they would want to, 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 to do. So I think we must give that capacity, the, the state right. must give them that capacity to do that. All right. Let me go to Great Town. Tammy, good morning. Uh, good morning, this Kathy, and good morning to your uh, to your your panel, your your, your invitee there. Yes, Doctor Makubela. Doctor Makubela. Uh, what stimulated my call, I must be upfront, is a question by Doctor Makubela. Doctor Makubela is asking the rationale behind why a group of African leaders are flying to Ukraine, to Europe, to, 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 to try and, uh, to resolve the issue of Ukraine-Russia war and jump Sudan. I've got a problem with that question because of its assumption. As you know, the world has globalized. We, are, we have become a, one village. So it's one vote. The economy today, the demarcation that are there, that South Africa, this is Zimbabwe, this is Angola. In the economy, we don't have such demarcation anymore. It has been integrated and unified, interconnected, interrelated. And as they move, they are interpenetration and we determine each other. Now, the question, we must start from the beginning, before the war in Sudan and before the war in Europe, who was trading most with South Africa? Is it Sudan or is it Ukraine and, uh, and Russia combined? Once you answer that question, it will then make you to understand why in our foreign policy, we are reacting by jumping Sudan and prioritizing the European countries because it is dangerous, Dr. Makubela, to look at the reaction without properly looking at the causality that stimulates the, the, the reaction. So going to Europe in those countries is a reaction. What is the cause? The cause is that the war in Ukraine and, uh, and, 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 and Russia in Europe 
as distant as they might be from the physical appearance. But in reality, if you are using the economic lens of South Africa, you will know that the revocating was being impacted severely. But what is happening All right. in Russia and, and, and Ukraine rather than what is happening in Sudan? Yes, All right. in Sudan. All right, Tammy. Because we believe in peace, we still need to deal with them. But from economic lens, mm. I think it, it, should, it should take, it's correct that you, it's logical that you take the Sudan, uh, the, 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 the European uh, war. All right. Tammy, I'm going to have to leave it there with you. I've got a break coming up. I'll give Dr. Makubela a chance after this. With Kathy Motlasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on the talking point. I'm still taking more of your calls uh, for Dr. Kingsley Makubela. Mvusiwe Kaya, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to Dr. Uh, Makubela. Thanks, thanks, Ambassador, for your service to our country. There are two things that I would like to engage you on. One is, what do you think the current leadership should do in the continent, not just in South Africa, uh, in addressing conflict issues in the continent, learning from experiences like the Harari Declaration that was led by uh, our Tambo to bring our freedom, but also to address other issues like the destabilization that occurred in the, in the African continent with the support of the OAU. The second point is, you, 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 what is your take on the emergence, the, 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 the pace emergence of the extreme right in the global politics? And, and, and you see this in Germany, you see it in England, you, you, you're likely to see it uh, in, in, in the US if Donald Trump gets likely and re-elected. But, but this has an impact on the global economy also. And it's countering what I see was the emergence of progressive thinking in the global economy, particularly in, in, in some uh, uh, leading uh, uh, companies in the global economy. What's your take on those two things? All right. Thank you. All right, Mvusiwakaya, thanks for those questions. You. Jay, you're in Somerset West. Good morning, Jay. Oh, hi. Yes, um, I think it should be Africa first. You know, in Sudan, about 14 million people fleeing to neighboring countries, 4 million dead teeth. Gray is actually starving. It should be Africa first. But the backlash from this Palestinian thing, first of all, the Israelis are not coming to OT airport, not coming to South Africa, so that's um, jobs lost in um, tourism. And then the food... The oh, food all right, Jay, what's, 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 what's your question? My question is, in about 10 years' time, um, I would like to know how he sees South Africa because I see the reset and we're all slaves to the ANC government because of what China's put in. They've already let the Chinese into the country, built smart homes for them. They don't need visas. So are we going to be overrun by the Chinese government with these communist laws and we'll all be slaves to the Great Reset? I want to know okay. what he thinks. He's very knowledgeable. Okay. All right. All right, Jay. Jay in Somerset West, we'll leave it there. Um, I've got one more question for you that I'm going to take. Um, on, on the WhatsApp voice note line. Good morning, good morning, Kathy. How are you? Mafucha here, Kathy. Can you ask the, the, your guest there as to what his position in terms of the back and forth uh, or a bit, of, a bit of a confusion with the South African uh, foreign policy? Uh, like, for example, in the case of uh, the Ukrainian war and the current uh, Palestinian conflict, uh, there's been sentiments that South Africa had been 
uh, a bit unclear as to which side of this foreign foreign policy is it pro- promoting more can you ask your guest what his position on that uh thank you all right thanks for all of those questions dr makubela Kathy, thank you very much. And thank you, uh, all of you, for the, the questions. It, uh, it, it's going to be very impossible to really adequately answer all of them within this short space of time that we have here. Uh, but let me, let me come back to the question of the world that is uh, gradually shifting and moving far to the, to the far right. We've seen that tendency, the AFD in Germany, and actually the Germans are debating whether to ban the AFD or keep them because they are starting to see uh, tendencies of uh, the neo-Nazi emerging there. But it's, it's a general trend that we're starting to see. Uh, I mean, if you take uh, Chancellor Olof, who is from the, uh, uh, the Social Democratic Party, he's, he's showing tendencies of the right uh, that actually were for many years within the CDU. You go to the United Kingdom, you see the Labour Party has moved a bit even to the right of the uh, Conservative Party. Uh, the Democrats in the United States have moved to the right of uh, the Republican. Uh, in Italy, they've moved to the, to the right. But the far-right politicians have started uh, some level of resurgence that we, we're seeing going on there. And, and that far-right tendency is much more intolerance. Uh, they are not even uh, acknowledging the role they've played in terms of destroying certain economies, the neo-colonial uh, role they've played. So you're starting to see those tendencies are a bit of a problem uh, now, uh, as I see it. But are we going to overcome these this challenges? It's, it's a question that I also have myself. Going back to Ukraine, you realize that yesterday Ukraine, they got 50 billion euros. The Sudan doesn't have the, even a cent to try to help feed the people there. The Ukrainians are having 50 billion euros uh, for, for their own development and for procurement of, of weapons and so on. Uh, with respect to why shouldn't we focus on uh, Europe and so on, it's not either or. Uh, policy, the definition of policy is what you decide to do and not to do. If you make a policy that you're going to focus around building institutional capacity within the continent and free trade arrangement, movement of goods and services and so on, you have to focus there and put your resources there. You can't have a deluge of people who are fleeing to Europe as illegal immigrants. It's, it's such a big problem. You can't get politicians who fly to Europe to go and get medical treatment when they're destroying their own facilities and institutions. Go to Europe, send your children there, Build the, the capacity within the continent. And South Africa has had the opportunity in the past to attract students from around the continent, medical people from around the continent. That's where we should focus in terms of our own resources. And I think, uh, other question, Cathy, um, it, it would be impossible really for one to do that given the, the time. But I think it's a discourse that is going on that we should keep on looking at. Uh, the Ukraine and Russia... I don't think South Africa should take sides in terms of these issues. South Africa should try to assist in the resolution of conflict and build a better world. A, a, a world that is at conflict with itself, it's a much more dangerous world. My biggest fear every night, Kathy, is the emergence of Third World War. The conflict that is eminent in the Middle East now. I mean, every day I get up in the middle of the night, I check if the Americans have started to attack Iran. And if they attack Iran, the reprisal from Iran is going to be severe. The Russians have started to patrol certain areas, demarcating Syria and, and Israel. 
And if the Israelis shoot down the, the Russian plane, we are in serious trouble. So those are precarious things that we're looking at. The tension that is there needs to be resolved and requires political leadership. And the global political leadership is not there at all. Dr. Kingsley Makubela, we are unfortunately out of time. Where has uh, the hour gone? I think this is somebody that we definitely need to bring back onto the show. So many uh, insights uh, to glean on uh, just as from his own experience as um, a diplomat in this country. Thank you so much for coming it's into my studio, pleasure. Dr. Makubela. I really, really appreciate your no, time. The pleasure is mine, Kathy. All right. On that note, it's 11 o'clock.